The Pelicans get the number one pick in the draft, which means they get Zion Williams. The Knicks fans get the number three pick, which has value, but Knicks fans are not happy today. And the Lakers get a bargaining chip, maybe giving them a shot at AD. What are the odds that AD and Zion remain teammates? It's the Cypher. Let's go. Before we get into any draft night trade scenarios, I'm going to focus on the conference finals. Game one in the West, Blazers versus the Warriors. Clay, Steph versus CJ and Dame, the two best backcourts in the NBA. You're expecting fireworks, great shot making, and you know that ultimately their production is going to be the key to this series. That said, coming into this series, I thought for Portland to have a chance to make this a real series, to make this go six or seven, Dame and CJ have to be special. Special the way Dame was in round one versus OKC. Special the way CJ was in round two versus the Nuggets. They've got to kind of bring that together. They've got to put that kind of production into this series. If they don't make shots, if they don't get downhill, if they're unable to put the Warriors on their heels, this is going to be a short series. And last night, they were combined 11 for 31, and that's not going to get it. And Dame just kept over-penetrating. He had seven turnovers. The Blazers as a team had 21 turnovers, resulting in 30 Golden State points. So think about this, though. 21 turnovers. Two best players that combined 11 for 31. They shot 28% from three, 39% overall. All that going against you. And in the third quarter, it was still a six-point game. And part of the reason why was... Portland was still a, they had the ability to still get to the free throw line. Dame and CJ were still attacking, even though they didn't shoot well. But what they've got to do is they have to keep attacking in game two and be more efficient with their shooting. They wasted a solid effort from Mo Harkless and Rodney Hood. Both of those guys had 17 points each. The Blazers bench actually had 28 points, which is solid for them. But what's crazy is for the second game in a row, the Warriors bench, which is their weakest link, had 31 combined points. They had 31 points in game six versus the Rockets. So maybe this is some kind of crazy trend. I'm not one to get into after one game saying a series is over. But I will say this. If CJ and Dame aren't special, aren't next level, this is going to be a four-game series. I expect more from the Blazers especially defensively. Look, I know how hard it is to stop the Warriors, especially the way they do those splits, the way they come off screens, and the constant motion. And I know some people are out there after watching Game 5 versus the Rockets when KD left and watching Game 6 versus the Rockets, which I thought was more about the Rockets, and now Game 1 versus the Blazers, and you keep hearing these insane statements or asking these crazy questions. Are the Warriors better without KD? The last episode of the Cypher, I actually put the question out there, not because I believe it's so, because I know it isn't, but I put it out there because you'd be surprised at how many fans out there think that's the case. And the, 
no matter what happens, I don't care if it's in the first half, third quarter, fourth quarter, somebody's going to run that stat where it says Golden State is 30-4 and four in games where Steph plays and KD sits. It's a great straw man stat. And they'll talk about how, well, they won titles before him. They won 73 games. We've been over this. Right, they did win 73 games. And they won titles before him. But here's the thing. In the two finals without KD, before he became a warrior, their record is 7-6. and six, And they split those finals. They won one and they lost one. In the two finals with KD, their record is 9-1. and 9-1. Nine and, one. Nine and one, and they won both finals. So look at those numbers. You can tell me about the 73-win team, and that should be respected. That's a great regular season record. But I'm going to say what I said before because it's a fact, and we only do facts. The team that the Warriors put on the floor the very next season, the team that didn't win 70 games, that team was better than the 73-win team. Something to think about. So let's slide over to the East. Raptors, Bucks. Kawhi versus Giannis, I don't think that's going to be a direct matchup. I think they'll match up from time to time. But my guess is they're going to put Siakam on Giannis. They're probably going to have Ibaka guard him from time to time, maybe even Mark Gasol. The thing that makes Giannis unique is the perception is he's a perimeter player. And the reality is he's a center. He's a post player. He's a unique center. Don't get me wrong. We've never seen anything like this. Giannis is 6'11", and with the weight that he's put on, he weighs about 245, 250. He doesn't look it because he's ripped. But think about this. He's a center who can catch the ball at the foul line or deep from the elbow, and he can take you off the dribble and in two strides be at the rim. But that's what he is. He might be the he's the most unique post player. I'm not saying he's the greatest post player, but he's the most unique post player we've ever seen. We've never seen a post player that in two dribbles and a couple of strides is at the rim. We've never seen a post player who can get out in the open floor and blow past anybody and finish over the top of anybody. I think instead of guarding him like he's a perimeter player, you need to start respecting him and treating him like he's Elijah Wan. Or like he's Joel Embiid. And, and I'm not saying he's Akeem Olajuwon. But what I am saying is, that's what he is. Giannis is a post player who can begin or initiate his offense from the perimeter. And that's what makes him unique. He's a tough cover because if you put a center on him, most centers don't have the lateral foot speed to stay in front of him. And if you put anybody smaller than a center on him, then he just bully balls them and gets an and one. If I'm the Raptors, my strategy would be simple. I'm doubling him every time. If that means leaving somebody wide open, then I'm going to look at that person and go, Chris Middleton, if you can get 30 on us tonight, you got this. George Hill, same for you. Eric Bledsoe, same for you. And on down the line. Having said that, what makes Milwaukee dangerous is their balance. Because you have a second all-star in Middleton who can shoot the three to a level that he can shoot the three. Last series, Middleton from three, 
George Hill from three, 47%. Giannis, who's not a three-point shooter, was seven for 17 from three. That's 41%. Then you've got Miritich, who shoots at around 36%. Pat Connington shot at around 35%. Then you have Malcolm Brogdon coming back. And when Brogdon's 100%, he shoots the three at a high level. The Bucks are long, they're athletic, and they've got enough shooters around Giannis that makes them a tough cover. That sounds like I'm saying it's a wrap. The Bucs are going to win this series. I'm not saying that, but I understand why they're favorite. This really comes down to not what Kawhi does, if this is going to be a great series. This is going to be more about the people around Kawhi if they step up. If you get Pascal Siakam to play the way he played pretty much every game versus the Sixers outside of game seven, that's going to help. If you get Kyle Lowry to step up, Kyle Lowry is a second all-star. I know his playoff history, his playoff resume doesn't say so, but he is an all-star. And Kyle Lowry is a much better shooter than shooting less than 40% like he did last series, shooting less than 30% from three like he did last series. They need Kyle Lowry shooting. They need Danny Green shooting. They need Marcus Gasol to be able to play pick and pop. They need... Serge Ibaka to be able to play pick and pop at a high level. This series to me is going to come down to shot making. Giannis could very well average 30, 32 points a game. But if the others, and I'm talking about George Hill and I'm talking about Eric Bledsoe, if they don't step up and do what they've done to this point, that opens the door for the, for the Raptors. I really do believe that. I'm not calling this series because as a fan, honestly, I hope it goes seven games. I really do. And I hope at some point, maybe four or five possessions in a row, we actually get Giannis and Kawhi going back and forth. That's just great theater. That's just something that us fans look forward to. But I also want to see some role player like a Fred Van Fleet or Norman Powell step up because that's, that's, that's one of the great parts of sports when someone we least expect comes out of nowhere and has a monster game. I'm hoping for a seven-game series. I know the numbers say it won't go seven. But we'll see. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals is tonight. Tomorrow, we will come back with a review. And we'll be back in a second. The NBA Draft Lottery last night was the most exciting that it's been in years. And maybe a lot of it had to do with the fact that the Lakers, who went from being the 11th slated team to pick, they jumped from 11 to 4. The Knicks also jumped in. You had the Knicks and the Lakers in the top four. And then you had the Grizzlies and the Pelicans, and the Pelicans ended up getting the number one pick, which means that David Griffin, the vice president of operations for the Pelicans, who already had a position of power and controlled the destiny or the destination of Anthony Davis, he just added added leverage in any scenario he chooses to pursue. If he pursues a trade with the Knicks, which would make sense because the Knicks have the third pick, the Knicks are going to select R.J. Barrett. That's Zion's teammate from Duke, his AAU buddy, and they're really good friends. They also have chemistry. Those would be your two building blocks if you're going to build for the future with Zion and R.J. Barrett, along with any other young assets that you could attain from the Knicks. 
Why would you pursue a trade with the Lakers? The Lakers have the fourth pick, and they could also put together a nice package when you factor in Kyle Kuzma, Lonzo Ball, or Brandon Ingram, and even a Josh Hart. I think anybody that makes a deal for Anthony Davis, be prepared to take on the contract of Drew Holiday, which, by the way, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Drew Holiday is the most underrated perimeter player in the NBA. He is an all-star two-way talent, and he's only 28 years old. Big picture, David Griffin has many scenarios he can use to go after any trade he wants. But I think his first thought, what he's really trying to do right now is he's trying to find more talent to add around Anthony Davis and Zion Williams and show Anthony Davis that staying with New Orleans is a smart move to make. My gut feeling is, though, that AD is going to still bounce. And here's why. One, he, he just wants to be away from New Orleans. He's ready to move on. Two, even though AD is the more polished player, the better player, Zion is the bigger star in terms of drawing power, in terms of bringing in endorsements, putting seats in the stands. Zion is the bigger draw. And I don't think Anthony Davis wants to be in Zion's shadow. This is going to play out over the course of this summer, all the way up to the draft. And you're going to hear a lot of rumors about the Celtics, Lakers, and Knicks. And who knows, maybe in the big picture, David Griffin pulls it off and convinces AD to stay. What I do know is this, though. That fourth pick, should the Lakers not be able to get Anthony Davis, maybe they can put together a smaller package and go out and pursue somebody like Bradley Bill. It was a big night for the Lakers because that fourth pick is a big trade asset to go with any package they put together. And don't forget, we get the free agency. All of a sudden, maybe the Lakers look a little bit more attractive because they have a little bit more to add to their assets. I think going forward, I'm not sure the Celtics are in the running anymore. I really don't, but I'm not going to sleep on it. I'm not going to sleep on Danny Ainge. He is one of the best GMs in the game. But considering all that's transpired with the Celtics, how things ended, you've got players going on, out on public crusades, beating their own chest, talking about what they will and won't do. When you look at Terry Rozier, I think going forward, Danny Ainge has more work cut out for him than any GM in the NBA. But don't sleep on David Griffin because I think David Griffin is trying to pull off a boss move. And right now, he's got all the leverage. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk about what happened in tonight's Eastern Conference Finals, Raptors versus Bucks, and also talk about Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. I'm going to put forth a game plan and show you, or at least speak on how I think the Blazers can get back in the series and make this a legitimate series. They've got the talent. It's just a matter of that talent stepping up and producing. It's the Cypher. Next time. 